This interview is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. In Practice is an independent publisher and all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of In Practice. Liz, observability is a big word. Can you define define observability or at least how how you would define it? So the way that I define observability is that it is a capability of a team to interact with its systems, to be able to understand those systems in real time on questions that you didn't anticipate you were going to need to ask until you actually asked them. Um, so that's kind of the theory of what observability is. And then in practice, what we use to accomplish observability is a combination of telemetry signals like tracing or like logging or like uh, metrics or profiling um, in combination with kind of a storage engine to be able to query them, as well as kind of the ability of humans to interact with that system. Um, that's kind of how we achieve observability in practice. Um, so it's kind of this combination of things where people have this conception that observability is just about the signals. And no, you know, the signals are an important piece of it, but it's kind of what you do with them that matters. So taking a step back, how did this all work when everything was on-prem? So I think that it's really hard to disentangle the history of how we got here um, to what some of the practices are. Because today, you can achieve observability regardless of where your applications are located. What matters is instrumenting your applications so that they produce the relevant telemetry. Um, so there's kind of no difference today between the observability that I would do in the cloud versus on-prem with the minor exception of, you know, what host-level metrics you keep just to help you out in case there is a problem with an individual host. But definitely is the case that in the olden days, the way that we struggled to achieve observability was by doing log searches, right? That you would scrape logs from individual hosts and that you would try to make sense of what was happening with the tools that you had at the time for on-prem that would, uh, for on-prem 10 years ago, that was logged in. And, and so were all these different, call products today that the big players offer, were they all se separate Offerings, you have to run these almost separately and then try to find the, the problem? Yeah, so the way that I think we got to where we are today with the market is that you have all of the legacy players that are coming from their individual positions of strength. That Splunk started as a logging first company. And indeed, they were very innovative when they you know, introduced the idea of, hey, you don't need to use you don't need to SSH individual hosts. You don't need to grub through the logs, right? Splunk will collect them and centrally index them, right? Like that was revolutionary at the time. And since then, they've kind of tried, they've kept themselves relevant by saying, okay, now we're on board with this observability thing. Now we're contributing to open source projects. Now we're kind of, you know, developing an APM tool or, you know, the combination of building and buying, right? Like they, they acquired uh, Omnition, right? So basically, you know, so Splunk came from the logs world. Datadog came from the metrics world. And then you have providers like uh, Dynatrace or AppDynamics that came from the kind of APM world. Um, all of which are kind of different, interesting routes to, uh, to arrive at trying to develop an observability solution for kind of modern systems as we understand them today. Does it matter which product or, or where you come from in determining who has an advantage today? So... 
my view, our view at Honeycomb, certainly, you know, we we have our biases, right? Like, is is that starting clean slate and thinking about all of the various signal types as all being categorizable as just special uh, special cases of of wide events of kind of key value pairs that you index as events. That that's kind of the universal approach that doesn't require you to have a bias towards one of the signal types or the other signal types, that they all wind up being white events. In contrast, I feel like if your company's bread and butter is logs or your company's bread and butter is metrics, that it can hinder you in some aspects if there is the danger of cannibalizing your previous business. Um, where if the new modern thing to do is not high volume log indexing, is the perspective of having done high, high volume log indexing going to kind of bias the way that your company thinks about the problem? I don't know. I think, I think it's an interesting set of circumstances. I think it's an interesting thing for people to explore and look at. Um, and at the end of the day, people should choose vendors based off of what capabilities they offer and how their software developers are able to interact with the system. So it very well may be that, you know, in circumstances where if you're used to using a logging solution and kind of that logging solution pivots to observability, maybe that's the best thing for you. Um, but I do think kind of, Going back to that earlier question about kind of approaches, I do think that there is lots of interesting stuff to learn from, you know, companies like my employer Honeycomb or from our competitors like Lightstep, um, like Aspecto, um, kind of these newer generations of tools that are not biased by having a legacy install base of a, of a traditional product. I want to get into those new solutions a bit later on. Just taking a step back then, for, for us non, non-techies non or non-engineers, can you just explain or, or walk through exactly how you know a DevOps engineer or someone will receive telemetry from a cloud application? How does it actually work technically? Yeah, so when you have application-level telemetry, that comes from inserting a, uh, a, a set of libraries into that application whether it's done at compile time or whether it's done via a agent that installs itself, um, the mechanism is that you hook into the application in order to collect information on executions, to collect information on incoming requests. So let's suppose that you have a service that is serving a request, you know, let's say hypothetically to twitter.com, right? Like, you know, that you're browsing the website Twitter and you hit twitter.com and it asks for a list of the 20 top recent posts. So that'll go to a back to a to one of the backend services. So in that backend service, it just it, it basically boils down to starting and stopping a stopwatch, right? It'll it'll literally, you know, measure the time that the request came in, some of the properties of the request, like you know, which user was logged in, which IP address, which browser, and so forth, and it starts the timer. And when the request finishes, it stops the timer and says, okay, here's all the information I know about this request. Now I'm going to forward it onwards. So that's kind of where the data comes from. And then there are obviously some additional layers to this in that if that initial service can't answer that question to start with, then you might wind up calling a bunch of other services. This is kind of where we get the microservice design patterns where each service does one thing. And you have fleets of microservices that all need to work together with each other. So you might have not just one start and stop timer, but you might have you know five start and stop timers or a dozen or maybe even a hundred uh, 
timers that are stopped and started to tell you where do you spend your time while evaluating that, you know, that little flick of flick of your thumb that you're doing when you're browsing through Twitter. Um, so those services, either through having a uh, agent automatically measure that or by having integrated a software library to do so, will send the information on when the request started and stopped and all those properties to a collection backend, which will then process that and make it available for a developer at Twitter, for instance, to be able to understand what's going on with this collection of requests, what's going on with the behavior, are there any commonalities, um, and otherwise start trying to dive into some of those unknown and known questions that we might have about what's going on with the performance of the software. Well, and that must have just got so much more complicated with, you know, going from physical hardware to cloud instances to now, you know, containers, serverless, microservices. Yeah, the... As you're saying, right, like the containers and microservices piece, that's the most interesting part of that, right? I think that's where the complexity really exploded. I think when we went from on-prem to individual, um, to, to individual large beefy virtual machines and running a monolith, we still could, to some extent, use the previous generation tooling of logging or of, or of kind of single host APM to resolve these questions about what was happening. But when we made as software developers, as an industry, the design choice to split our services in order to allow teams to move independently and to ship and deliver software on an independent schedule on individual components. That helped individual teams move more quickly, but it added this complexity of now it's not all located in one place. It's not all one process, whether it be on-prem or on a single virtual machine. Now this is scattered across multiple containers, across uh, across container orchestration, across across many hundreds of hosts potentially. When looking at the market size and growth, then so what what percentage of the call it the application or infrastructure stack is actually monitored today, would you estimate, for most big enterprises? So I think here's where we get into challenges with terminology. Um, as I said at the beginning, the definition of observability is contested in some ways. Um, I kind of adhere to this view that it's about, uh, you know, the squishy notion of can a team evaluate unknown unknowns? But that doesn't quite as neatly map to technology choices so much as it maps to what are the uh, practices that engineering teams are doing supported by their tooling. So if you ask, you know, what percentage of applications are monitored by enterprises, the answer is 100%, right? 100% of, of applications are monitored with, you know, with some degree of either modern observability or metrics or logs. But when you start asking more specific questions, like what percentage of, of companies are using distributed tracing and doing so effectively, right? Like then I would say that it's early days, right? Like we're talking something like maybe 15, 20% of companies are really effectively leveraging distributed tracing. So it's not nearly the percentage that we hope that the market will grow to. And I think that those 80% of companies that are not yet leveraging distributed tracing it could be because either they're not, you know, mature enough, right? Like they're not necessarily at the point where they could benefit from distributed tracing. Like maybe logging and metrics can resolve their problems. Or maybe they're already starting to see some of these challenges and be struggling with them, but they haven't yet adopted the methodology and tooling that they need. 
So that's kind of where we see and anticipate growth in the observability market over the next five years is moving from 20% of the market using uh, using modern observability tooling to you know 40% or 60%. What in your mind are the biggest limitations to the market growth? I think the main limitations to growth in the observability space are that it's historically been challenging to get traction with observability efforts, that it's historically been kind of all or nothing. This idea that you had to, in order to benefit from observability tooling, you had to roll out distributed tracing to everywhere, to all of your services. Um, And what we're starting to see is that individual companies can be successful at the team level by adopting not necessarily distributed tracing, but just kind of single request, single single service tracing and kind of being able to drill down into attributes of that service or into the execution of requests within that individual service without necessarily needing to boil the entire ocean. So I think that's kind of, you know, hist- historically five years ago, um, distributed tracing was in a state where it was really hard to get started. It was hard to get uh, hard to get value, right? Like a lot of people got burned by kind of the earlier implementations of distributed tracing. Today, it's now possible to realize value earlier. And one of the efforts that I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit is kind of the convergence on single solutions for that are vendor neutral instead of vendor lock-in solutions. Um, that kind of those are barriers that we're in the process of dismantling in order to make sure that people can feel confident making an investment in observability through tracing. What exactly do you mean when you say distributed tracing? Like how how would you define that for us non non-engineers? I think it goes to what I was just describing with kind of, you know, you you swipe your thumb on the Twitter app and and a request gets dispatched to Twitter, right? Like, you know, that might cause a hundred different services scattered across a thousand machines at Twitter to to do something on your behalf. So being able to put together that picture of what caused what to what ca- cause what to happen, caused what to happen, right? Like that kind of causal tree is what distributed tracing is aiming to give you. And, and, and all of those players offer that, right? Datadog, Splunk, New Relic, they offer some kind of you know, tracing service. That's correct. And as as we were saying, it boils down to what someone's perspective is, where they're coming at it from. So you'll see that players like Dynatrace, um, like AppDynamics, have adapted existing kind of single host APM solutions to now be distributed. You'll see players like Splunk, you know, try to connect log lines with kind of trace context IDs and then to kind of marry that with technology that they've acquired. Um, So, yeah, basically all of these major players have tracing and observability offerings today at the same time as they also kind of have these legacy offerings that in some cases they're saying are distinct from observability in other cases they're saying are part of their observability suite. Uh, would you say Datadog has any legacy offerings given they were built on the cloud kind of first? Datadog was built in the cloud, but Datadog was built as a metrics first product, right? They were oriented solely around infrastructure metrics collection. And then they pivoted and said, you can have app metrics. And then they... But the problem with Datadog is that, or I guess the problem for their users, but the the way that Datadog profits is when you have application metrics um, that you're inputting with the same APIs that Datadog uses for infrastructure metrics, Datadog will charge their customers per combination of tags, per combination of kind of 
dimensions and unique values or cardinality per tag. Um, so that's how Datadog has tried to leverage the shift towards people wanting to get more granular insight into their applications into being able to generate uh, revenue from their metrics product. But they also recently started doing, uh, you know, recently in the past three, three, four years, started doing work around uh, around tracing as part of their product suite. And so what, they're effectively double charging customers then? If they want certain monitoring and, the, you know, or APM, you have to have the metrics as well? Is that... That's essentially correct, yes, that Datadog charges a per host fee for collecting the infrastructure metrics and then a per host fee for collecting APM and, and tracing data. And it effectively, right, like that boils down to that earlier question that I posed of, should we be approaching observability clean slate or should we be trying to build observability as a multi-product strategy or as or as a kind of evolution of one of the existing pillars that someone is, is doing particularly well? Um, so in the case of providers, uh, in the case of providers like Aspecto or Honeycomb or Lightstep, right, like there is not this notion of you're, you know, buying two separate products and you're paying to store the data twice and, right, like it's all one product. That's kind of what the vision is that if you can store the data once and materialize it in the form of a uh, time series plot similar to what you would expect from metrics, or if you can visualize it in the form of a, uh, or of a trace waterfall graph, that you shouldn't have to get charged twice for that. Well, in these services, like you said, they've effectively started, I mean, it's the classic kind of land grab. You know, they, they, they enter with one product and they just upsell and, you know, market their 130% net revenue retention number and all investors love it. What's particularly interesting though, right? Like is when we see that in a, in a client that, that they already are using both Datadog and New Relic or they're using Datadog and New Relic and Spunk, right? Like, and all three of those players are saying, you know, why don't you kick out the other two and let us have all of your business, right? And it yields tool sprawl, right? Like it, either you you are trying to resolve problems in three contradictory systems that you're paying each to do the full work of, or even if you adopt, you know, just one or two of those tools, you wind up in this problem of they're still kind of disjoint product suites, right? They st- they have different billing models, they have different data collection models, right? Like it's hard to necessarily reconcile that. So that's kind of where this value proposition is of a of a of a next generation tool to come in and say you know what like let's let's ditch all of the, these assumptions about how you need to do it from the start. I do want to dig into that in, in detail in a moment. Um, well, and just but on the market more broadly, then one thing I've never understood is why there's so many of these players. Like you said, you know, there's what five, six, seven players all offering, you know, so. Like you say, coming from a different angle or you know, legacy advantage. Like, what? Why? Why is that the case? Why is there so many players? I think it's because we are still figuring out what the best solutions are, right? Like, I think that this is a golden moment for for innovation, um, for people to figure out what does the future of software delivery look like, what does the future of observability look like, and you know, I, I welcome the fact that people can uh, can can try out different competitors and see what works best for them. Um, so I think the reason why the market is able to support so many competing players is because of the size of the addressable market and the rate at which it's it's expanding. Right? As I mentioned, you know, if 
only something like 20% of, of enterprises today are using modern observability, that means that the market's going to have the potential to grow by a factor of five, um, right? Like, I, I think that that's, that is an opportunity both for kind of, you know, for the kind of legacy, let's let's call them new Splunk dog, right? Like new Relic Splunk data dog, right? Like that those players kind of have the opportunity to branch out from their legacy offerings. You have kind of the newer, the kind of offerings that were started, you know, three, four or five, five years ago, uh, folks like Honeycomb and like Lightstep. And then you've got the brand new players on the block, like uh, Aspecto, Signos, right? Like that there's this opportunity for all of us to innovate and compete and also cooperate in some ways to, to make sure that people have that freedom and flexibility. Right. And they all seem to have the same offering. Like you said, I mean, we use Datadog, for example, and, you know, I look at the invoice every month and I have no clue how they're charging that. I mean, similar to AWS, but I go on the platform and I see so many different products, you know, 20 odd products they offer and Splunk offers a similar kind of offering. It just, it's, it's an interesting market structure where they all have somewhat of the similar strategy and offering where they're trying to bolt on different products in, on the stack and be that all encompassing platform. I think every company inevitably does that, right? Like it's really hard once you reach a certain scale to get growth out of a single product and then you have to start selling multiple SKUs. I think that's what that boils down to. What about the hyperscalers? Yes. Um, so, so this is guided more from my experience um, as a former Google Cloud engineer, right? Like I worked on Stackdriver at Google Cloud. And the way that Google approached Stackdriver was that it was a uh, it was a table stakes thing where, you know, it was not meant to be a profit center. It was just a value-added service that you got with Google Cloud that you got, you know, now it's known as Google as uh, as Google Cloud Monitoring, right? Or uh, Google Cloud Operations Suite, I think is the formal name, right? Like, but the idea is, Customers expect to be able to see basic data about what are my load balancers doing, right? They expect to be able to see records of the load balancer logs. So every cloud provider has to provide that as an element of their stack to help you understand the bits that you otherwise would not be able to get data out of. Right, so they have to come up with a mechanism to egress those logs or come up with a mechanism to surface request rates and error rates and so forth. So they've kind of built out these products around that that kind of allow access to this proprietary data stream and say, okay, you can plug in data if you really want to um, from your own app. However, it's not necessarily a place where they're trying to reap significant revenue, right? Like it's just a bare minimum they need to keep their customers happy. And from what I've seen out of Amazon, it's you know very similar. The CloudWatch product is not uh, trying to compete head on with Datadog or with Honeycomb or with Splunk, right? Like people, I, I think it boils down to the fact that people who are doing a cloud migration are not going to want to ingest their on-prem logs into CloudWatch. That seems unnecessarily silly, right? That kind of, a observability solution should be cloud neutral. I, I think I think it essentially boils, boils down to that, that when you tie your observability to a specific cloud, you're locked into that cloud forever. And it is true, technically, I think, you know, before Google acquired Stackdriver, Stackdriver had a solution for AWS. And I think to this day, you can ingest your AWS logs into, into Google Cloud operations. But again, like, 
why would you want to do that? Right. Like it just, it just seems a little bit weird, right? Like, so yeah, I, I think what we've seen with kind of the willingness to collaborate on open data formats from Google cloud, from Amazon is that they're recognizing that the best thing that helps them expand their total market base is not trying to lock you into their proprietary data platform. And instead is to make the data from that proprietary data platform available via open means so you can ingest it into a common tool. And that that's what's going to provide them with the greatest growth on their core uh, hyperscaler product is when developers feel they can understand what's happening under the hood and be able to analyze that and that it doesn't have to be in a tool that they themselves are selling. So you don't necessarily have to use CloudWatch and X-Ray to make Amazon happy. You just have to uh, you, you just have to be able to understand what's happening in your app using you know insights service from CloudWatch potentially read into another tool like Honeycomb and the application data that's being fed into Honeycomb. Right, like I think I think that that enables Amazon to you know yes they have a baseline offering, but they're willing to kind of wait and see right to just let uh, ISVs do uh, do this work around around innovating on observability. And guess what? ISVs like Honeycomb, we spend a lot of money on AWS anyways, right? Like data gravity means that the, you know, data, data gravity means that they are going to be selling at a markup, right? Like their, their, their services to the ISVs that are providing observability. And inevitably, right? Like, you know, it's not necessarily going to be today, but you know, at some point we will have enough of a volume of customers on Google Cloud where those customers will, you know, demand that Honeycomb set up a copy of Honeycomb in Google Cloud, right? So they don't have to pay egress fees, right? Like, I, I think I think that's basically the argument is that um, home, the kind of hyperscaler observability solutions work okay for table stakes use cases. And then... And, and then the ISVs wind up having to build their platforms on the hyperscalers cloud anyway. Um, so, so they they don't really as long as long as the customers of the hyperscalers are able to get adequate observability with one of many tools. Those many tools are going to wind up contributing to spend on the hyperscaler both directly and indirectly. How do you look at Amazon or the hyperscalers' incentives then, as? the ISVs or, you know, Datadog or even, you know, Snowflake or any ISV gets gets really big and starts dominating or starts dominating a certain segment. How, how do you think their incentives could change? Fundamentally, the, right, like, I, I, the house always wins, right? Like in Las Vegas, the house always wins. I think that's what it boils down to, right? Like, you know, you can buy Datadog or Splunk or for that matter, Honeycomb via a Amazon marketplace contract, right? Like, so, Amazon wins no matter what, right? Like that the house always wins, right? Like they, they are always going to get their cut, whether it be from, you know, Honeycomb or Datadog or right, like all these providers spending money on AWS itself from their percentage cut of the AWS marketplace sales, right? Like they make their buck no matter, you know, no matter how, how this goes. It doesn't really matter how how dominant or not any one player is. And in fact, it's in Amazon's interest to make sure that no one player becomes dominant, right? Like that way, that, that way they can kind of, you know, play us off of each other and not have to make as deep concessions on the percentage take from the marketplace. What do they think about open telemetry then, for example? How do you think about their incentives? 
around that. Ah, yes. So we first need to define open telemetry, and then we can kind of talk about the uh, the incentives. So open telemetry is a uh, vendor-neutral standard developed under the aegis of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation for how you generate and transmit telemetry data. So when I talked earlier about distributed tracing, kind of creating these start-stop timers, recording all these key value attribute pairs, Open Telemetry provides the libraries, the SDKs that enable you to generate that data and also specify the format for that data in a way that multiple vendors can ingest it. And even that you can transmit that data to kind of A-B test multiple vendors against each other. So it kind of is this mechanism to make sure that if you have invested in adding open telemetry to your application or to your stack, you are not locked into a vendor that is portable instrumentation that you can take to any provider. So we've seen interest and and contributions from from Google, from Amazon, um, from Microsoft in in into the open telemetry ecosystem because they want to offer this kind of takeout ability, right? For you to be able to take out Amazon CloudWatch metrics in open telemetry format. The advantage to them is they only have one integration to maintain in right now, right? That they can say CloudWatch supports OTLP, the open telemetry protocol, egress. And then anyone who supports ingesting OTLP can just suck suck down CloudWatch logs and integrate them into their product. Well, and when you say portable, like how, how portable are the is, is the data? The, the data is portable to the point that you can change a single line in a, in a YAML file and have, have, and change where the data is sent to. Or you can add five lines and send, and send the data to two different syncs at the same time. So we're starting to see kind of these, uh, you know, I think this is really awesome. We're starting to see these competitive proof of concepts, right? Where someone's interested in trying out Lightstep and Honeycomb side by side, and they can just set up their config, right? They can write the instrumentation once, set up a collector fleet, and then have have the collectors configured to route to to uh, tee the data to both Honeycomb and to Lightstep at the same time and do a bake-off. I think it's great for competition. Um, so... Well, and, and the reason why I ask how portable really it is portable because you know, I think we spoke before about Kubernetes and, and, and that was supposed to promise some kind of portability of workloads across clouds, but then actually get into details, maybe it's not as portable as it may seem given you have to, you know, there's lots of APIs that are linked to the, to the cloud. So how would you compare something like Kubernetes and that open source ecosystem versus open telemetry then, for example? I think it goes to the extent of the features that you want to use, right? That with uh, with Kubernetes, um, you know, the, the challenge is yes, right? Like if you want to use the deep Amazon load balancer integration, right? You're going to have to set some custom attributes. Um, similarly, if you want to use the, uh, the the deep Amazon EBS integration, like again, you're going to have to set some attributes and configure your, your disk volumes, right? So the open telemetry collector kind of works the same way, right? That baseline sending data in OTLP is 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 super easy and efficient, um, super easy and efficient, uh, just for the sake of the transcript. Um, and you know, if you want to configure some additional options, like if you want to configure tail sampling, um, that is something that the open telemetry collector supports only at a basic level. So you might need something like Honeycomb's refinery product, which kind of handles that tail, tail sampling. Or you might need Lightstep satellites, which handle similarly handle tail sampling, right? Like, so 
I, I think that's basically the the trade-off is there are some things that open telemetry does really well as far as being able to collect the data from your applications very easily. But the kind of managing of the data volume at large scale is where you start to see some degree of vendor differentiation, where you're not sending it directly to the vendor in, you know, sending the whole firehose of OTLP data directly to the vendor, that the vendor might ask you to uh, install install their agent to kind of uh, filter through and sift through the data first. Um, so, I, I, so, but on the other hand, right, like that's not changing the core of how OpenTelemetry works. That's not changing any of the instrumentation code. That's just changing the routing behavior, right? So I think that that level of decoupling makes it a lot friendlier than, you know, Kubernetes manifests where you have to tailor them, hand tailor them to the cloud that you're running it on. Can we take a step back then? And can you just share, as we discussed, you know, Datadog and Spunk, how they've evolved in their business models. Can you just share how could the new modern version of a DevOps platform or observability platform, whether that's, Honeycomb or Expecto or Lightstep, like how have they evolved relative to how Datadog evolved? Yeah, I think that the the evolution of the newer generation has been kind of around market maturity, right? Around saying, you know, for instance, Honeycomb did not have a metrics product until, you know, a year and a half ago, right? And I think that that's this interesting evolution of, saying, you know, oh, you know, we are all in on tracing. Oh, wait, there are some customers that really need metrics and metrics are kind of useful and, you know, as, as, a, as a thing to look at alongside your traces, right? Like, so, so it, yeah, I think, I think it basically boils down to how do we, what, what use cases do we address? Um, kind of how do we integrate up and down the stack? Um, how do we, how flexible are we with kind of being dogmatic about 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 things um, versus meeting people where they are, and then you know certain things that relate to to enterprise readiness, right? Like I, I think that th- those are the areas that any kind of David challenging a Goliath goes through. Of you know you, you have to bulk up at a certain point, right? Like you, you have you have to uh, take on bigger and bigger fights. Um, so I don't think that we've changed our necessarily changed our core message about why our theory of change is different. I think what has changed is kind of maturing our, our go-to-market approach um, as 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 time goes on. And what is the core message that these new modern version platforms are, are really bringing to market? I, I think the message is um, empowering developers first rather than having central IT teams decide. I think the message is about... Um, looking at things clean sheet, right? Like saying what, instead of using what worked 10, five years ago or 10 years ago, how do we help you address problems today and be able to get answers quickly? Um, anyone who has used Splunk for logs before will tell you, you know, it's sure it's a revolution going from 10 minutes to grep logs to five minutes or three minutes to run a query, but it's not five seconds, right? I, I think I think that that's a speed as a key area of differentiation for kind of the, the newer providers. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's around getting people to rethink this data model of do we really have to have a separate logging provider, tracing provider, metrics provider? That I think is how 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 we're different. And so, is, is Lightstep and Spectre are they all built on top of Open Telemetry then? That protocol. That's correct. Um, Lightstep was one of the found, founding companies that kind of contributed a lot of the initial uh, effort behind Open Telemetry. 
Um, and prior to that, they were kind of one of the main innovators behind open tracing, which is one of the predecessors to open telemetry, right? Uh, Aspecto has built open telemetry first, right? Like they, they only, for their entire lifetime of their product, it's only been under open telemetry, which I think is really cool. Um, and, you know, Honeycomb joined op- open telemetry and started making contributions the same year it, you know, it was first announced in like, you know, 20, 2019, right? So it's, but in the case of Honeycomb, Right, we had in the past kind of this legacy uh, a set of APIs and SDKs that we developed in house because there wasn't yet a clear winner between open census and open tracing in 2016, in 2017 when we announced our tracing product. Right, so we kind of had to you know retrofit and say, okay, actually, Honeycomb Beelines are now in maintenance mode. Right, like we are going all in an open telemetry for all new for all net new business. Right. So I think I think that's kind of you know a, a generational thing, right? Where Lightstep had to migrate their customers off of open tracing, we had to migrate our customers off of V lines. Um, but it's pretty clear now that basically every every new observability client, um, regardless of a company, is wanting to use open telemetry by and large. What percentage of the industry? would you estimate is actually using open telemetry today? Out of the set of people that are using uh, tracing and uh, tracing or metrics at all, or right, like I, that that's a complicated question because I think it depends on signal type. It depends upon what solution someone is using. Um, you know, as I said earlier, if I estimate something like 20% of the, uh, of, of the industry is using any kind of modern observability product, then I would say, you know, something like, 10% of the industry today is probably using open telemetry, right? Like it's so half you know, of we those are customers. It, yeah, I, I think basically today it stands at roughly half, right? Like basically all of the new customers to a modern observability that have been added in the past two years essentially are 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 using are using OTEL, I would say. And so what do they do exactly? Let's, let's say I'm a big I'm a big enterprise customer, you know, just exploring you know observability. Obviously, there's Datadog and all these big services out there. Like, do I use do I do I use Datadog and then Open Telemetry as well for different things? Like, how do I how do I use? I services? think it depends on who got to you first, right? Like, Datadog has has their proprietary DD Trace uh, solution, uh, which is integrated with their agents, and you might have already locked into DD Trace. If so, I'm sorry, right? Like that that's painful. That's annoying. Um, I've actually I've spent a lot of time talking to the New York Times about that over the past two years, right? Like about, oh God, we're locked into DD Trace. What do we do now? How sticky is that? It's unfortunately pretty sticky, right? Like that's that's the problem is that when you have non-portable instrumentation, if you have to rip out all of these annotations and all of this infrastructure and all of these lines of code that you've written, it's really disruptive. However, right, like I, th- I think that's why there's such this co- such of a common interest in pursuing open telemetry is none of the folks involved in open telemetry want to put people through another rip and replace again, right? Like we know it will destroy all of our markets if if everyone has to deal with all these incompatibilities, and Datadog is coming around. Um, so Datadog hired uh, a director of open telemetry strategy recently, who is actually a friend of mine. And they're starting to make more of their products open telemetry compatible, at least to receive open telemetry here. Um, so my hope is that they will at some point liberate uh, Datadog Trace to enable uh, people who are who are using DD Trace to use any OTEL compatible provider, but that's not there yet. I, and then that effectively commoditizes... Oh. That, that's the goal, right? The goal is to commoditize the, uh, the integrations and SDKs. 
The goal is to make it that providers are differentiating off of the data analysis capability that they provide and not based off of locking, you know, whoever your last provider was of tracing. It's a big move for Datadog, right? It's a big move to do that from Datadog. It is, but I think, you know, customer pressure over the past three years has really forced Datadog to reconsider. Well, and, and so how, I mean, it, it's it, it's it's fascinating because it just, you know, Datadog's obviously growing so quickly, for example. I use Datadog because it's just obviously the poster child of, of, of the industry, it seems. But it, it seems to be growing so quick, even in the face of these open source technologies that are supposedly at risk of commoditizing the likes of, of Datadog. So how do you see the big major players like Datadog evolving, opening up, yeah, I think I think this is a difference in strategy, right? Like Datadog started closed, is now trying to open up, whereas Splunk and and uh, you know whereas Splunk and New Relic, although New Relic has recently pulled back from that and laid off a bunch of their open telemetry engineers, which is very unfortunate. But um, you know, market conditions, I understand, right? Like, but you know, certainly Splunk has steadfastly expressed support for open telemetry, right? Like they have realized that going it alone against Datadog was not a winning option. Right, that they would rather partner with Honeycomb and with Lightstep, and honestly, with end users. Right, like I think that's just the other beautiful thing about about open telemetry is that we've got a growing number of end users who are contributing to the project. Right, like that people really value and appreciate having a community project where contributions upstream are owned by the community, not owned by the vendor. Right. If you make a patch to DZ Trace, that only improves the experience of Datadog users, right? If you make a patch to open telemetry, it impacts everyone. Well, is, is, it, is it kind of like everyone versus Datadog? <laughs> That's what it sounds like, in a way. <laughs> I don't think I can say that. You said it, not me. But, you know, I, I think I think that Datadog has, you know, Datadog has changed their strategy recently in light of the pressure from their customers around open telemetry, right? Like, I think that says something, right? Like, I, I don't... I, I think that makes it harder to characterize it as us versus them so much as us having disagreeing strategies about what the right thing to do for consumers is where they've actually come around, right? Like, I, you know, I just me as a customer, for example, again, we use Datadog. So what what is the real advantage then of me using open telemetry versus proprietary data? The advantage is that you can have the flexibility and freedom to, you know, uh, to, to benefit from improvements to the ecosystem made by other hotel users. You can uh, not necessarily be tied forever to Datadog if you decide that another provider meets your needs better, right? Like you don't have to rip out all these lines of code adding instrumentation because instrumentation can move with you. Yeah, so I, I you know, I, I think that that those are kind of the the two real advantages, right? Like larger developer base working on working on the tooling and and port and portability to to avoid lock in. Is it improving better though, given the scale of these companies? Like they, they, I guess they improve their services pretty quickly, as well. Right. Like I, I think I think that's the challenge that all of us saw. Right. Like that Datadog had at the time, you know, fifty or hundred integrations engineers working full time on integrations. Right. And it was like Honeycomb is, ne- you know, Honeycomb at the time was like, you know, we can afford to spend one or two engineers working on integrations. Right. Like that's that's not very tenable for us to compete in an integration for integration. But what if, right, like we are able to pool resources to develop a set of community maintained integrations for all of these all of these projects? And even better yet, right, like here, here's the magical thing about open telemetry. It is designed so that library authors, right, like so for instance, the Express Node.js library, the you know, default HTTP web server that uh, Express uh, that Node.js users use, right? Like 
that the authors of Express can feel comfortable adding the OpenTelemetry APIs directly to their code so that every Express user can benefit from OpenTelemetry out of the box. So you don't have to install this kind of monkey patching integration that will just work out of the box, right? Like, so whereas the Express authors almost certainly did not want to add in Datadog's proprietary code to their, you know, to their open source tool that's meant, meant to work with everything, right? But OpenTelemetry is sufficiently neutral that it that it's something that library authors can add and it's zero overhead if you're not already using Otel, right? So basically the idea is in the long term, you don't even need an integrations team if the library authors are just adding Otel by default. How do you see customers today using a project solution like Datadog and Honeycomb or Lightstep? I think it's a evolution thing. I think that people will, you know, you're never, for the reason we discussed, if people not wanting to rewrite your code, you're never really going to be able to rip out um, something like Datadog that's warmed its way into your infrastructure. I think it's about kind of those net new use cases that are built from open, with open telemetry from the start, that are built to send data to to Honeycomb or, or Lightstep from the start. I, I think I think that's, that's kind of what we see is that growth of kind of these Datadog custom metrics that they charge you an arm and a leg for that slows or stops, right? And maybe starts to reverse as people start ripping them out. Once they discover that there is a better solution for kind of tracking high cardinality, high dimensionality data, right? Like that starts shifting into the open telemetry uh, data instead. But you kind of, it takes time to make that decision to say, you know, we're, we're going to cut data log loose, right? Like that doesn't happen overnight. So instead the question is, how do you coexist for a period of time? How do you enable, as a platform team, uh, how do you enable uh, your software developers to utilize OpenTelemetry and to utilize a modern observability tool? Well, and so technically then, so Datadog, for example, I, I don't know, I'm not an engineer, my CTO obviously implemented this with Datadog, right? So, but what, if we use DDTrace, for example, or their, their metrics or infrastructure monitoring service, like how is that is that monitoring my out typically an enterprise's whole stack or is it by workload? Like can I migrate those workloads over time or is that once I'm Datadog I'm done? I'm like you know I'm stuck with with them. Right, I, I think it's a matter of uh, in the case of custom application metrics replacing them with open telemetry attributes. Um, in the case of infrastructure metrics, it's a matter of running the right replacement agents to replace Datadog. Right or to start ingesting data from Amazon CloudWatch into uh, via OpenTelemetry in, in, into your your observability solution. So it's pretty sticky then for Datadog what they have. Yeah, I think kind of their infrastructure and application metrics are pretty sticky, and it's kind of hard to remove them once they're there. Um, but again, like this is a growing market; that's not necessarily a problem. Right, and then how do you see the pricing changing? You know, it's notoriously expensive, Datadog. And how do you see that changing with the growth of open telemetry? I think showing people that, right, like, I, the argument makes itself, right? Like, if your vendor is holding you hostage and raising prices year on year, and and, and it is to the point, right, like, I have spoken to a um, unnamed financial services company that literally is hiring two or three full-time engineers to manage the Datadog bill and to kind of uh, submit pull requests to remove expensive tags. And it's like, I, I'm sorry, you're doing what? Right, like you're, you're, you, you are, okay, I understand why the ROI of, you know, hi hiring $400,000 a year worth of engineering resources to, to cut your, your bill by a million dollars per year, but like, 
this is such a waste of engineering talent, right? Like we can do so much better, mm-hmm. right? Like, so I, I think those arguments make itself, right? Like if a t- if product is notoriously sticky, difficult to remove and expensive, you're breeding resentment against it, right? Like people are going to be looking for the next better thing. Uh, how do you compare data dog stickiness or that kind of stickiness versus AWS and storage and compute stickiness? Yeah, I think uh, in the case of, it, 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 it's two different forms of gravity. With AWS, the gravity is around your data, right? That's why they charge you nothing to ingest your data because they want you to keep your data with them forever. Um, in the case of Datadog, it's stickiness in, the, in your code base, right? Like it's all these lines of code and library calls out to Datadog things that, that are hard to remove afterwards. So Datadog is less sticky than EC2 and... Uh, yeah, I would say it's either way you're going to wind up spending engineering resources trying to do a full-scale migration. But yeah, I think you're right in that it's less sticky in that it's not all or nothing, right? Like, whereas with, with EC2, it kind of is all or nothing because if you want to access resources on on EC2, if you're trying to execute a multi-cloud strategy, you're still going to be accessing things that are located in Amazon and you're going to be charged for accessing it from somewhere else, right? So given the shifts we're seeing in the industry and open telemetry and these new platforms, how do you think you get a competitive advantage in, as an observability platform today? I think the competitive advantage is what can you do to solve software developer pain, right? The estimates that say something like the Stripe developer coefficient survey from several years back says that developer software developers spend about 40% of their time doing break-fix work that's end-planned, right? That's a huge waste across our industry, that, that if, you're, if you're spending 40% of your time, you know, on end-planned work, kind of trying to chase down bugs, right? Like, if we can say reduce that percentage from forty percent to thirty percent or twenty percent, right? Like, I, that's that's where you generate the value. Um, so, yeah, the way that you differ- differentiate is by giving people faster answers and faster resolutions to their problems. What's limits in the adoption of open telemetry? I think so. Two years ago, I would have answered maturity, right? Like that it was not mature enough, right? Like that it was not generally available, that, you know, we could, you know, scream until until our face turned blue saying, you know, oh, it's 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 unstable in the sense the APIs are subject to change, not unstable in the sense of it will crash your app. But we, you know, that that's now put to bed, right? Like open telemetry is here, it's here to stay, um, it's stable um, for these signals that are stable. I think now actually we have the converse challenge of complexity, right? That Open telemetry is designed to be super flexible, super vendor neutral, support everything out of the box, which means that configuration uh, can be a little bit annoying, right? That it's unopinionated about so much that in order to get a working implementation, you might have to, you know, paste 100 lines of code. So, you know, now there's an opportunity for there to be kind of quick starts, right? Like for a vendor like Honeycomb or Lightstep, right? Like to say, here's our distribution, which kind of has the opinionated defaults that work best with us. But your your custom attributes and instrumentation, those will work regardless of which one of our kind of opinionated SDKs you plug in. So I think I think that's the challenge, right? Like it's 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 right. It's it's the same similar curve as Kubernetes, right? Kubernetes started off as you know, oh, this is immature, this will break your shit. To now it's you know, Kubernetes is complex, right? Like, but honestly, complexity is not necessarily a bad problem to have as long as there are quick starts. Because and also that means that it will support and grow with any use case that you have. Well, but for example, for Kubernetes, it seems like the biggest players are like EKS, GKE, like the hacker skaters. So what what makes you think that? new independent players like Honeycomb or, or Lightstep are going to be the 
the players for open telemetry? I, I think it boils down to Amazon understands open telemetry is important because it saves them from having to write a bunch of custom integrations with every APM provider that comes down the down the road, right? That that's their incentive to play ball. And as far as why they're not going to take over the observability market, it's it's simple. They they don't think that that is their that that is not a a profit center for them. It is astonishingly hard to to change to change the mind of, of a business about what its profit centers versus what its cost centers or kind of cost neutral centers are. Um, and I I wish that I could say for the sake of innovation, I I wish that I could say that you know Amazon is like investing in making uh, CloudWatch and an X Ray a profit center, but I think the departures of certain uh, of of recent prominent employees who are involved, you know. I, th- I think that says something about whether they felt that they could do their most innovative work uh, in, in a cost center, right? Like the same thing happened with Google Cloud, which I can certainly more personally speak to, right? Like uh, Melody McVessel left to found a startup, Observable. I went to Honeycomb, um, right? Like when you see brain drain from a from a company working on work, you know, that has a product line around observability, that kind of suggests that you're going to see them, you know, do maintenance, but not necessarily develop it as something that is kind of their their primary focus. Uh, and so when we look at the potential risks to the major players and the growth of Honeycomb, Expecto, Lightstep, um, how do you see Datadog and, and New Relic combating the threat of the, the newer modern observability platform? It comes down to discounting, right? Like it's the, the way that we've seen them fight dirty, right? Like, or it's not even fighting dirty, dirty, right? It's fighting using the advantage they have. If they already have a contract with you for your, for your log spend, for your security spend, they're going to throw in, you know, Hey, would you like to use our tracing for free? It's, it's kind of challenging to compete with free, even if we know that our solution will save far more developer time, right? Like people still are like, you know, I'm looking at this line item in a budget and it's, Right, like as opposed to looking at it from the perspective, I'm spending some money in my budget to help my developers do more. Um, so, I think that kind of consolidation of vendors is a really powerful market force right now. That is uphill for anyone you know who's trying to break into into a company for the first time as a new vendor. How do you see the market structure changing? You know, in consolidation, and you know, like I said, there's so many of them out there. How do you see that changing? Yeah, I think it's. It's fascinating. Um, I think that any player that is offering a single feature is going to wind up getting snapped up, right? Like I, I think that it is because of this market dynamic, it's really challenging to offer an incomplete set of features as opposed to something that can address all of or most of someone's needs. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the primary thing. I think the secondary thing is you know, we're, we're going to continue to see people wanting that kind of flexibility to, to compete on price and features, right? Like, I, th- I think that's kind of what the value proposition of open telemetry is, right? To start seeing more movement between different open telemetry supporting vendors, right? I, I think that's a win for the consumer. I, 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 think, I think that is unequivocally good. Um, 
you know, I am happy to make it easy for someone to switch away from honeycomb because, you know, if I think that our product is genuinely the best, like we're going to get far more new customers than we're going to bleed customers. That's okay. And so looking forward to, you mentioned roughly 50% of, call it modern observability users uh, on open telemetry or at least using it in some kind of way. How do you see that change over the next five years? If we're looking at, you know, 80, 90% of of new uh, adopters of observability using open telemetry, right? Like it basically says, you know, when we're at... 30, 40% of enterprises using using modern observability, it's going to be 35%, uh, you know, out of the 40% um, that, that, that are using open telemetry, right? Like people are going to move off of legacy solutions onto open telemetry and 100% of that new business is going to be on open telemetry, right? So- well, but do, do vendors actually do that? Do, they, do, they, are the big, do you see big enterprises only going with open yes. telemetry today? Yes, oh, wow. yes. We do see that, because, right? Like, this is actually re- really fascinating that one of a, a, a major bank in APAC developed their platform entirely using open telemetry first, and then they started looking for a vendor, right? I think that's really cool, right? <laughs> that right, like people see the momentum behind Otel, people see that the same way as, you know, you should be building with Kubernetes today, you should be building with Otel today, right? Like that it's going to be there for you, it's going to be supported. Is it difficult though? Like, because I understand that Kubernetes, if you're going to run a Kubernetes orchestration, is like you actually need like really good engineers to actually manage that. How, how, how would you compare open telemetry in terms of building it yourself? I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, going, going to be similar, at least, at least for now, right? Like that in order to really effectively leverage open telemetry, you are going to have to have good engineers. Um, I think it is on all of us to make it to lower the complexity and to offer support to the people that that were onboarding with open telemetry. So that's a big challenge in terms of getting adoption is having that expertise internally to to build on hotel from scratch. Yeah, for for sure. But um, you know, I think that it's part of the natural life cycle of every project. Um, yeah. And, and so looking forward then, you know, five, 10 years, open telemetry is growing. How do you look at the industry structure? between what the legacy players are offering, like, you know, call it these data dogs, new relics that are kind of bolting on products, infrastructure monitoring, APM logs, you know, user experience. In five years time, what does that customer journey look like in terms of building their stack? And, how, and where does that place, where does that leave the big players? Yeah, I think that, you know, aspirationally, I hope that um, people will build first around the, this observability workflow, right? Around uh, white events and traces um, first. And that they will have choice of which vendors they use. Some may choose to use legacy providers that have really like modernized their observability solutions. And some will use uh, new new players, even some that we haven't heard of yet, right? Like that haven't even been invented yet, right? Like I think that there is always room for innovation. Um, what do you think of security? Here's the challenge. Security is a fundamentally different market. Um, this is actually where I think Splunk Splunk struggles, right? Like Splunk is saying is pivoting much more towards the security market um, in terms of their market message. Maybe that's their market message for their logging product, which is fine, right? Like, but but here, here's, how should I put this? So observability is about empowering your developers to get to the bottom of the problem as quickly as possible even if using sampled or incomplete data, right? Like the, the the idea is that fast and close to right is better than perfect, right? Security by nature has to be exhaustive, right? You, like you have to have 100% of the login attempts to, to, to your servers, right? 
And it might be okay for a query there to take 10 minutes or 30 minutes, right? So, so I think of them as completely orthogonal problems. I, I, so that that I think is why open telemetry, you know, open telemetry is not necessarily designed for security purposes, mm. right? Like I, I think logs are going to be the bread and butter of security. So you know, maybe in that sense, Splunk is doing well to, to emphasize security for their kind of legacy product. Well, and Datadog's trying to get into to security. And as Datadog, well. and indeed, Datadog is trying to get into the security market too, right? So I'm happy to let Datadog and Splunk fight over the security market. That's not where my attention is. So maybe so you so you, there could be single products like you said that will be on the legacy vendors, but if the customers in the future are building tele- open telemetry first, right? It's, the, the difference is open telemetry first as far as developer experience, ease of debugging, and people can use whatever logging tool they want to use for for security monitoring, right? Um, you know, for instance, you know, Honeycomb, uh, you know, Honeycomb has adopted Lacework. We, you know, we we think Lacework is great, right? Like they're not competing with us. They're they're really great because they solve a problem for us that we otherwise would not be able to solve on our own. So effectively, open telemetry commoditizes the core, you know, solution of these bigger DevOps players in terms of debugging the problems quick as possible for developers. And if 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 customers do start there from the, from scratch, then they might bolt on other individual products like security or logs in the future. But you effectively commoditize the platforms. Right, exactly. The idea is to give people a default entry point of how you produce this data and give them choice in where they send it. One thing that I think is really interesting, uh, maybe this is based off of your perspective as, as, as an analyst, but like, I am really surprised you haven't mentioned, uh, you know, do-it-yourself, kind of the people who are building things with Jaeger themselves, right? Like, it's worth mentioning that that's, you know, that is a thing that people, some people do. Some people do try to, you know, because they feel that, you know, they have to keep all the data inside of their own, right? Like, they're not going to use SaaS, right? Like, or they feel like, you know, they would rather customize and tailor something to their own needs, right? Like, that they build in-house. Like This is what we said before about, right, the, about the risk of public cloud is actually maybe private cloud, <laughs> you know, that nobody seems to be talking too much about. Right, you know, there there's going to be private clouds, right? Like, you know, there's going to be people who are building their own custom solutions, right? Like, and maybe, you know, you're, you're Uber and you need to build Jaeger and that's fine. But like, you know, there there is a cost associated with doing that of, is this really your core business, right? Like, and especially where we're seeing headcount budget shrink, that's a very risky move for your manager now saying, you know, I want to build a team of 10 people or 100 people to build out, you know, our own internal observability. What do you think investors or, or people in the market typically misunderstand about observability in the, and, and where the market is going? Yeah, I think the number one, you know, incorrect assumption is it's it's about collect them all, right? It's about logs, traces, metrics, product suites, right? Like, I, I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about what capabilities are you unlocking for developers? Um, when you focus on things that, you know, as a percentage cloud spend or as a percent or as data volume, you are mistaking the value prop for how it might be built. Um, so kind of the number one thing to look at is to, you know, actually interview users of this and ask them, you know, what percentage of your organization is using this tool, is using this tool proficiently? And can you attribute the amount of time savings to this tool, right? Like, I think that's what that's what it boils down to for me is the smart money is on is on who can help organizations realize the most value. 